Ready? Rip, snort, rearing, and ready. This is Box Elder School District Super Scoop, a podcast about the happenings in Box Elder School District. Today, we are with Superintendent Steve Carlson. We're here again today with another podcast of the BESD Super Scoop, and I'm Superintendent Steve Carlson, and we're here today with David Lee, uh, the principal at Harris Intermediate out in, in Tremont. I guess, is Harris in Tremont? I never know for sure where the line is. It is. It's in okay. Tremont, right by the fairgrounds. Okay. So pretty close to Garland, but still a ways away. Anyway, uh, Mr. Lee has been a principal here in our school district uh, for a few years. He's been an elementary principal in a couple of elementaries, and currently he's doing a great job at Harris. And so, Mr. Lee, would you please just tell us a little bit about yourself and maybe your journey end up, you know, through education, teaching, administration, just give us a little rundown who you are. Yeah, well, I've been in Box Elder School District now for 20 years. Uh, it's been a great journey here. I worked in Ogden School District prior to that, but uh, I actually started my journey as a student a student teaching at Box Elder High, oh, wow. uh, where I was teaching history for a time uh, and and uh, World Civ. Uh, and then I went to Ogden School District for a while. And then I was teaching at Box Elder Middle School for a while. And then did my principal internship at both Bunderson Elementary and Box Elder High School. And then I've had three different elementary schools as the principal there and now at Harris Intermediate, uh, kind of making up that time. So uh, I have four children, uh, several of which are in college now, and we're we're getting to the empty nesters almost. It's it's moved pretty fast. It it really does. It really does. It's moving pretty fast, uh, but uh, but Box Elder's been good to me and good to my family, and uh, uh, it's been a, it's been a joy to just to be in this journey to help figure out what's best for kids and how to get uh, more kids to learn uh, and 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 and, uh, and help faculty get there too. Sure. Well, Mr. Lee, what you know the the impetus, the impetus to try to talk to you today is based on the fact that that Harris, you're doing a, a reading program, literacy program with with the students. And, you know, as, as for those people out there who may not know, our intermediate schools have sixth and seventh graders in them. And in general, uh, uh, in education, we talk a lot, a lot about doing our best in our kindergarten, first, second and third grade. There's a lot of research to show us if a kid can read a grade level at third grade that they're going to, uh, you know, be successful and, and make uh, make things much easier as they go through. However, because of a variety of reasons and the reasons, like I said, a variety, there's there are many. Sometimes we get kids to the fourth, fifth and sixth and seventh grade that maybe aren't reading at grade level. And and Mr. Mr. Lee, would you, David, would you tell us, you know, about what you saw as, as, as a new principal there and, and, and why you've decided to try to a- attack this, uh, you know, the, the, the students that maybe weren't reading as well as they needed to, to be able to, to do well in sixth and seventh grade. So, yes, of course, as a school, um, I, this is my third year at Harris. When I first came there, uh, they had already begun a little bit of a journey into their tier one curriculum and kind of realizing, hey, we've got some more kids that we need to help. And so there was some good pioneering efforts started there. Uh, and of course, then we just kind of got us started and we're getting better is kind of our motto at Harris. You know, we get started, we get better. But what we noticed was, is, is as you're right, Superintendent, as kids in the elementary level, they, they, they spend a lot of time decoding and how to read and, and, and the phonics and those kinds of things. But what we've noticed at Harris is, a lot of our data indicators and any tests from your, you know, your your ACTs, SATs, you know, maps, right, whatever assessment they might be taking, even a teacher-driven assessment, uh, 
comprehension is a huge piece. And so we found that a lot of our students, though they may have some of the decoding skills, we're really struggling with the comprehension skills. Uh, and so what we know is, is, is it's fine to be able to read a word, but you have to know what it all means. And so that, that meaning is where we've spent some time. You know, I think historically, uh, we, we basically kind of stopped assessing kids reading about fifth grade. And, and those kids that couldn't quite read, I knew this as an elementary principal, uh, they, we, they didn't, you know, the ones that were, we were trying to help, but they didn't quite still get there. Their need for reading didn't just go away when they hit the sixth grade do- uh, doorstep. In fact, it, it's, it's, it's extrapolated even more when they get there because teachers, you know, in, in CTE, math, science, everything realize, hey, and that was a big aha for us at Harris is these teachers were saying these kids just can't read. And so one of the things that I, that I want to give my school the most credit for is that I have teachers who said, hey, we and I'll quote my Utah studies teacher. She said it the best. She said specifically, you know, the most important thing I can teach kids, even though I'm a, a history teacher, is that the, uh, the most important skill they'll get at Harris is that they can read. And so we did a lot of meetings with our guiding coalition and our, and our teachers and just to say, OK, we know this is an issue. We know that there's many kids who can't read. It's interesting, the correlation to of our students that struggle with behavior and appropriate behavior uh, when they can't read. Uh, it's, a, it's a high correlation of students with uh, with behavior challenges uh, versus those who also can't read. And so um, what we then decided was that, that, that all hands needed to be on deck. And so um, our first year, we kind of decided we started with everybody kind of having a goal of how to promote literacy in their subject, their content area, doing things like dyad reading, doing things, you know, like just promoting additional literacy and reading within and to support our school wide goal. We have a three to five year goal uh, you know, of increasing reading for all students having a year's growth of reading wherever they are, where they've started, to get that, whoever they came to us, so that we're going to move them a year at least. And so on, on our, on, and our assessments are how we decide that. But all the teachers basically kind of that first year set goals. Second year, what we started seeing is, okay, you know, that, that's helping, but we still, and we've seen, saw some improvement, you know, uh, like 6% in our rise scores, those kind of rising. Uh, and our reading inventory scores were going up. But then we realized, hey, there's still a lot of kids who probably need to make more growth. And even our upper kids who maybe are on quote, quote, reading level need to do better and improve where they are in their comprehension, particularly. We looked at our rise scores and realized, gosh, there's some low hanging fruit there. Kids who could be doing better on those rise scores that have the reading ability, but they're not necessarily passing the comprehension piece of those. Because even, and, and, and we realized that a long time ago that, that our, our, all of our main tests are basically tests of reading, whether it's math or science or anything, because if you can't read, you can't pass yeah. those assessments as well. So then you, you, this is year three. What we decided last year, we had a group of our teachers in the summer get together and plan out what we now know as our reading intervention time, four times a week for 20 minutes. Uh, the students who need uh, certain lower skills are working in either our rewards groups or our, what we now know as sixth grade and above Lexia. It's a computerized program that helps students to be able to, to work in the areas of grammar, comprehension, and word study. Uh, and they spend time on that four days a week. Uh, as far as that goes. Uh, and the students who are already at grade level in their reading proficiency skills, but need the comprehension, work in our novel studies and conquer the eight strategies of comprehension. Things like summarizing, things like inferencing, predictions, those kind of things. And so, so every, and, and the, the key is, is, is between fifth and sixth hour, every single staff member in the entire building, other than a few dancer phones in the office and a few custodians, and, and I, I myself, I take a group too. And so everybody takes a group. Uh, some there's two adults in the in the room. Some there's one, depending on the needs of the kids, and so and they spend that time in what we know is our reading time. 
as far as that goes. Now, uh, next year, uh, our, the Nalexia program actually has a, a, a tier three component you can go into as well. And so we're going to scratch into that as well. So kind of our, you know, uh, our changes we've been talking about is just kind of working through that data. So then that's, that, that's kind of in a nutshell, what it sure. looks like, what our three-year journey has been, you know, as far as that goes, I know that, uh, the biggest thing, and I want to give my teachers enormous credit here, was when they all looked at our data, they said, we've got to help kids read better. You know, and, and, and they, know, they realized, hey, we know we're not teachers of reading per se, but at Harris Intermediate now, every teacher is a teacher of reading uh, and promoting reading because we know it's the most important skill they need. Well, that's, you know, I, fortunately, I've, I've been in education long enough. I understood everything you said there, you know, <laughs> and it's going to be a little hard to decipher maybe for some folks as, but... It, it's, it's outstanding when you think about it. Um, and as I said earlier, you know, we wanted them to read grade level by third grade because elementary, the old saying is, is you learn to read and the rest of the way out, you read to learn. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the, the simple fact that some of them don't read, you know, and I think I would guess the three of us in the, the room, you know, David, you and well, the two Davids, I guess, David Blake and David Lee and myself, I was always pretty fortunate. I don't remember ever struggling with reading, but I've, I've have a yours, mine and ours family. I have, you know, stepchildren and, and some of our kids, we really had to work extra hard to help them read. And what a tough deal. And, it, and it's so hard for some of us to understand that when we didn't know how to read. Now you talked about your teachers, but when you're really making real true change, even maybe if you had a just a diehard bleeding heart about an idea, unless you can get your teachers on board. Talk a little bit about that, because I think that's one of the things that I've heard about Harris is they really came to you and said, hey, we need to make that. And you've mentioned that, but maybe be a little bit as we talk to other principals and, you know, even parents, you've got to, you know, be able to, to go at things the right way to make change happen. Well, I, I think that's a great question, Steve. Uh, the, the, I think the, the shorter answer is, is the culture of Harris Intermediate is, is that we're going to do everything we can to help kids. And there, there's a, you know, we, we've actually had a, a lot of retirements and different things. And we've hired 28 new people between the last three years to be at our school. And, and I think part how of many, the, How many total staff do you have? We have, teachers? we have 43 teachers. So, so 60%. Yes. Somewhere in that. Very, do the math okay? Yeah, that was pretty good. good. Very new, very new staff, you know. But what's fascinating about all of them, even the, even our veteran teachers that have been with us, you know, uh, we had a teacher that taught for forty four years last year and was was right in the mix of wanting to help and and understood the reality that if her kids yeah. in, couldn't read, that they couldn't do well as well. Uh, so as far as that goes, I think a lot of it is uh, the data tells the story. Absolutely. You know, that's where we started our journey was looking at the data to say, you know, not just well, this is some idea the principal has. Uh, uh, and, and we're very open to that. You know, if teachers have a better way that they like us to accomplish what we want to accomplish, bring it forth, bring it up. I think our guiding coalition, uh, and that means is there's a representative from each team. There's about 12 of us that meet uh, twice a month. And that's something that, to, that our job is, is to look at the data. Our job is to look at what are we doing? Is it working? You know, as we looked at our data mid-year in January and saw our MAPS results, we, you know, we had teachers all the time. Once while we'll say, well, is the work I'm doing, you know, worth the effort? Because it is a little extra. Yeah. And it was pretty clear to everyone in the room as we looked at our overall school data that, yes, the work was worth it. 
And what's awesome there is then you can celebrate because, you know, uh, many people talk about the, the missed opportunities and celebrating great things. And that's what we were able to do is, you know, is just to celebrate the because every little intervention, every little piece, every person who promotes literacy, just even a little bit has helped to rise those from the, our paraprofessionals to our teachers, our counselors, to everybody who's helping with that. Even secretaries sometimes help us with our reading groups. Uh, it's just it's just been amazing to see. But it it does take that faculty buy in as far as, you know, I mean, uh, we help guide the, the discussion. But they, in the end, uh, have kind of had to want to to well, tell kids. Yeah, sure. Yeah, you know, that's just I don't know. It's exciting being an educator, and and really when you hear stories like this about the whole group getting involved all the way, you know, including secretaries and and paras and everybody feeling like they're making a real true difference in a child's life. Okay, David, uh, go ahead. Question: You you talk about data, and you know as we. As we look at data, it takes work to gather data, right? Because you've got to give it an assessment. Um, it takes a little bit of learning to understand how to analyze data, right? You, you don't come in knowing how to analyze data. Um, but then the hard part is it takes humility to change your instruction because of data. So what are some things that you've done to educate your teachers on how to analyze data? And then how do you help them to be humble enough to realize that I've got to change what I'm doing to increase the data. Well, that's a great question because data can be, you can take it personally or it can be personal. So, I mean, I think what I mean by that is, you know, it is I heard a great quote from Todd Whitaker not too long ago. He says, you know, I should never look at a teacher that has higher data than, than me and say, oh, they're a better teacher than me. But I should look at it and say that teacher has better strategies. Mm -hmm. And so what are strategies are they using that I could be using? And that's kind of what we were looking at. We had a consultant help us last year a little bit to look at, hey, what are some schools that are doing decent with reading? What strategies are they using? And so then we were able to look at that and say, okay. Uh, we also then went to our own experts in our own building and said, uh, what do you think could be could be part of this reading time? And so some of our best language arts teachers said, well, if we're, if we're, we're focused on what, depending on what our goal is, but our goal was increased comprehension. Well, then we need to use comprehension strategies. So then they kind of took some of the best strategies they had and then they worked from there. Because I can't say to my PE teacher, hey, you know, pull out of your bag the best comprehension strategies. But if we give them those suggestions they can use, then they can help promote those things. But I think that's what it is, 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 is and, and, and saying to yourself, well, what, what is the purpose of data? You know, one of the things that Harris that, that I that we try to really reinforce is we're not going to give assessments. We don't use the data from that's kind of one of our norms. It's one of our things that we you know, because otherwise it's wasted time. And I hope any parents are listening to understand that, you know, any any test we give at Harris, we do it purposely. We're not just trying to meet some whatever requirement. We really, truly want to get that data to use. And multiple lines of evidence are really helpful. We have at least two lines of evidence that we look at before we place a kid in any kind of a reading intervention, as far as that goes. Uh, we even work with parents sometimes closely to say, hey, you know, would your kid like this additional class? And next year, we have a few additional things we're doing a little differently as far as uh, kids getting tier one, which is everybody, tier two, which is some, and tier three, which is a very few. So, we're, that, you know, that's kind of our next steps looking at next year is, is I think we have to look at it uh, in all areas of how we can help kids. But the data is basically going to kind of say, overall, what is our trend showing? Are we seeing increases? Are we seeing upticks? Are we seeing some data rising? And getting teams used to that, we, we, we will meet at the end of every, we, we meet three times a year in all of our teams and say, okay, what is our, what story is our data telling us? Yeah. Uh, we'll meet again in May after all of our data is in and we'll say, okay, what are our next steps for next year? So you had mentioned looking at data and you said, we don't give a test unless we're going to use it. Mm -hmm. um, some parents out in the world, they think, oh, we're 
we're testing our kids to death and, you know, uh, we have different levels of assessments and we have teacher driven assessments. Uh, we have district level assessments and we have state level assessments, right? Do you use all of those pieces of data or do you like, Oh, this one's not as important. What do you, how do you, how do you evaluate what's important and how to use it in that data piece? Uh, I made a video for all of our students that talked about why we give them these tests, mm-hmm. uh, maps assessment and, and rise, and then their other, their assessments. And so what I said to them there, I think is applicable here is, is so I use their data as a principle very closely as far as if, if we're looking at a, whether a kid's needs were met or not, the rise test is the end of your test, kind of like an autopsy almost of what they learned in the course of that time. So that's helpful in a certain degree. The maps assessment are very helpful. In fact, becoming one of my favorite assessments because it's given in September, January, and then again, end of April or May. And we can do something about that data mid-year course correction, and we can help kids, you know, as far as that goes. The end of year data is helpful to examine our school as a whole or a program. So you have some data that way. The most, you know, if you, it depends on who you talk to, but I believe truly that that, that if the teacher-driven data is also uh, pertinent, it can be used in conjunction with the map assessment to kind of bring together the here and now. The foreman says, what do we do about it now? Because that's the best time to make change to your instruction or as a team is now, not at the end of the year, oh, shoot, we didn't make it, you know, kind of thing. It's That's what we find to be helpful is, is but, and that, but it does take teams looking at their data and saying, okay, are our assessments rigorous enough? Is it, is it, are the assessments doing the job we want it to do? If they're, if they're easy in, 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 in assessments, then it doesn't give us much information. Yeah. So a lot, a, lot of, a lot of our teams has done is they've looked over those assessments and made some changes. So that's, that's where they use their data. Well, you know, in, in many of our podcasts, we talk <clears throat> about our PLC model, our professional mm-hmm. learning community model. And it occurred to me as you were speaking, a couple of things is uh, in the professional learning community uh, vocabulary, there's the three big ideas. Mm-hmm. And those three big ideas are to focus on learning. So that's our main thing. We want kids to learn. Focus on collaboration. And that's between the teachers so we can figure out what it is that's best and then focus on results. And so all of this that you've been talking about, you know, the data and all that, once we get the results in, we're going to make sure we make some some changes happen. Another thing that is talked a lot about in the professional learning community is, is facing the brutal facts. And that's that's the data that we're talking about. Here's the facts. And then being vulnerable and not not being afraid to talk to 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 one of your collaborative team members or somebody else, because it's okay. You know, I liked what you said that there it's not that you're a better teacher. You just have better teaching strategies where our whole professional learning community model is, you know, every sixth grade language arts teacher in your school is working together and looking at each other's data. And so they end up passing it back and forth, the strategies. And so that's, I just wanted, you know, to point that out, but what you're talking about is what we're doing, try to try to help kids learn. And, and, and that's why it's so important to, you know, to be collaborative, work together and to be vulnerable. So, so uh, Mr. Blake, I'll say that because you're, uh, you're uh, sitting here so quietly in this in this one particularly. What do you have any other thoughts before maybe you shoot off some of these good old fashioned rapid fire rapid <laughs> fire questions? Yeah, just a clarification because Steve mentioned at the beginning, like a lot of the words we're using are educational lingo, right? And, um, you had mentioned tier one, tier two, and mm-hmm. tier That's three, and uh, you'd kind of mentioned about big, smaller, and small. <laughs> Can you just explain maybe more in depth for parents or whatever? 
what tier one is, tier two and tier three, and, good, and, good. and how, to, how does that affect learning? Yeah, so um, what we know is, is the, the most difference is made by the tier one instruction. That's where everybody's in the, in the class. Setting. So I'll give you an example in the language arts world. So every student at our school will be in what's called a study sync class in sixth grade. And so in, the, in one of their periods of the day, it'll be, they'll be in study sync. Well, uh, that's tier one. So everybody gets that. And that's where they're going to be delivered their instruction and, and those kinds of things. Well, tier two might be during uh, another part of their day. We have a, a class called. David, can I interrupt? Yes, you, please. In tier one, generally, we try and we really would like to think that 80 to 90 percent, mm-hmm. you know, a minimum, a minimum of yeah. 80 yeah. percent. You should, should be able to meet the needs yeah. of 80 percent of our kids. But at hopefully least. 100 percent yeah. would. Yeah. But then so. But for some reason, their minds on something else. They they can't read mm-hmm. well enough. Maybe let's say let's go twenty percent. Don't get it. So then that's the tier one took care of eighty. Yeah. So go ahead. Then they would need some additional what we call tier two time. So that means well some kids get that. So you know in our sixth grade they may have a second class of the day which maybe is called language live where they get to work on some additional strategies and maybe a smaller group with some additional uh, paraprofessionals. So maybe they'll have two or three teachers in that class to help kids with with deeper reading needs. Uh, so that's that small group. And then there's even a small group called tier three. And so in our sixth grade, for example, um, we have a, a core block called 4A, 4B. And in that time, half of it is math interventions or extensions. Uh, and then half of it's, it's language arts reading or extensions. And then they'll still have their additional uh, additional tier two or th- tier three time during our reading block between fifth and sixth hours. So potentially a kid who's struggling with reading could have three to four things in a day where they could really get some additional support, depending on what their data says is needed. Okay. Which is all of this is driven by data. All by data. Not, and teacher teams. Yes. And not by yeah. feeling of saying, well, this kid's struggling or this kid's been yeah. a, uh, irritant in my class. Right. But if they struggle with assessments, then we do everything we can to help that kid become proficient mm-hmm. in those meaningful assessments. Yeah. So, yeah. no, thanks for Great clarifying. Trail. That's, a, yeah. that's a, good, really a, a good breakdown of what Tier 1, Tier 2, and Tier 3 look like. So, well, thanks for uh, meeting with us. I've got a few rapid-fire questions to get to maybe know David Lee just a little bit better. Okay. Okay, so uh, what's your favorite color? Green. Which is Harris's color. Yeah. And Obviously, because things grow that are green. That's true. You do have a good farm. Uh, what's your favorite restaurant? I love, place you like to eat? Yeah, I love the restaurant called Elements up in Logan. Oh, yeah. It's a good little place, but yeah, that's one of my one of my favorites. Yeah. Uh, what's your favorite vacation spot? Oh boy, uh, that's <laughs> a, a big vacation. Yeah, Europe a lot. I right? loved uh, Europe is my new favorite place. Yeah. So uh, yes. Do you have a favorite? I mean, Europe is large. Do you have a favorite? <laughs> Uh, I, I just, I, I need to be there more. That's all I know. But, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, Germany is going to be a new spot for me to, to seek some interest in soon. Oh, nice. Yeah. Uh, what's your favorite way to unwind after work? You know, uh, my favorite way to unwind is I, I live on about 20 acres out in Honeyville. It's my practice farm, my play farm. And I like to just go out and watch things, watch things grow, watch things uh, develop, get my hands in the dirt, you know, maybe go with a few of my animals. I just, I like to just kind of have some alone time where I can kind of just think, Nobody's demanding anything of me or wanting anything of me. I did that. So to me, that is my kind of my therapy time and, and just to kind of commune with nature, if you want to call it that. Yeah. Turn off all volume. Everything's off. And you're just listening to nature. Yes. That's just awesome. kind of uh, in my renewal time. Yeah. Well, 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 thanks, Mr. Lee. And you know, once again, thanks. Thanks to David Blake for, for putting this together. But really interesting. And, and thanks for your work you do. And make sure you, uh, you know, you tell your, your staff out there, all of them that are all hands on deck. Thank, thank you so much for trying to help these kids 
just become the best version of themselves they can be. You're welcome. Thank you. I'll get them that message and we appreciate the, the good things happening here. Thanks for the support.